Well, good morning, everyone. The Lord be with you. Thank you. Thank you. So good to be in worship this morning with you today. Uh, we are working through a series in the Gospel of Mark, so I want to encourage you to get those Bibles out. I hope you're reading through the Gospel. Uh, I talked to some this morning, said they've been reading, and, and uh, they were just, they've just been amazed at, at how every page is Jesus performing miracles and touching and healing and casting out uh, evil spirits and all kinds. It's, it's an action-packed gospel right from the very get-go. So I hope you are enjoying uh, reading it. And uh, we're going to be in it for the next few weeks. But this morning, we're going to uh, be in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And it's the story of the healing of the paralytic man. So uh, let's stand together and... Uh, and a way of honoring God's word as we hear the gospel. Mark chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door. And he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves, and he said to them, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up, take your mat, and walk. But so you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We've never seen anything like this. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Make sure our screen comes on here. So if you go back into the Gospel of Mark uh, and look at it from, from chapter 1 up to where I just read today, the bulk of that material happens in a 24-hour uh, day within the life of Jesus. Now, it happened over the course of a Sabbath. And if you were to grow up in the first century and experience a Sabbath, it might go something like this. So you get up in the morning. You get ready to go to church with your family. You go to the synagogue. There, a rabbi or has a message, they read from one of the Old Testament prophets, or maybe one of the books of Moses, and they give a message, there's some liturgy, uh, other readings of Psalms, maybe a song or two, 
And then when worship dismiss, dismisses, you'd probably go home with your family and eat a meal together, possibly relax, you know, maybe take a nap. That sounds great. How many of you are getting naps after church today? Yes, amen to that nap. Uh, I always love to nap on Sunday afternoons. And you maybe get up, visit with your family, eat some more, and sleep in the next day. Well, all of that sort of takes place in this 24 hours of Jesus' life. Except, when Jesus is there, it's anything but ordinary. So, the disciples and Jesus, they go to the synagogue in Capernaum that morning. And Jesus gives the message. And in the middle of the service, there's a man that is healed by Jesus. And so there's this miracle right there in the middle of church that day. It gets people talking. And they're saying to each other, who is this guy? Look at the authority that he teaches with. Even the unclean spirits, they obey him. And wherever Jesus goes, all of these things are happening. Now, they get home after church, so to speak. And Peter's mother-in-law, is it's her house, and but she's not able to, to help with the evening meal because she has a fever. And so they bring it to Jesus' attention. And what does Jesus do? He heals her. The fever leaves, and she immediately goes back uh, to serving the family. And, and then the word is continuing to spread around this little small community. And by evening time, when the sun goes down, everybody is showing up at the house. No, no quiet time. No nap time. The crowds are pressing in. There are people there that, with all kinds of sickness. And what does Jesus do? He heals people. He cares for people. He listens. He touches. He teaches. Way into the wee hours of the night. Not a single person Jesus lets leave without being touched. So the next morning, the disciples, they're all exhausted. They sleep in. But what does Jesus do? We learn that he goes to a solitary place to pray by himself. And the disciples, they come and, and they look for him and they find him and they say, Jesus, come back to town. Things are going really great. Let's stay here for a while. Let's, and, and Jesus says, no. No, we're not going to stay here. For I have been sent to proclaim the kingdom of God to other places. And so from that moment, Jesus and the disciples, they leave Capernaum, go around the Galilee area where he continues to perform miracles and teach. Until we get to chapter 2 where we just read, Jesus comes back to Capernaum. And here are the disciples and they are finding that, that the word has really gotten out now. And the people are crowding in to get a glimpse of Jesus. And we find that the, there's a question on everybody's minds. And they're wondering, who is this man? What makes him so different? And they marvel at him and they're astonished. We find this at the end of Mark chapter 1 where it says, They were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority. And not as the scribes. They were all amazed and they kept on asking one another, who is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once, 
his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Fame complicates our lives, doesn't it? We see it with Jesus. We realize that this is happening, that, that his fame is spreading, things are getting complicated for him, and uh, the people are just crowding in everywhere. And Jesus is certainly experiencing this in his own life. And what we will find as we go forward through these, these next chapters is that Jesus will have fans and he will also have critics. There will be people that follow, the crowds come, but then there will be haters. There will be people who start to turn on him. And then when we pick up with where we were just a moment ago in chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, it says, when he returns to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And so many gathered around that there was no longer room for them. Not even in front of the door. And so, the town is abuzz. The house gets packed. And Jesus, what do we find that he is doing? Well, Mark tells us that he was speaking the word to them. Some other translations say he was preaching to them. He's preaching to them. And this is what Jesus does everywhere he goes. This sets the table for people to respond to his message. It's the preaching of his word. And we know that it is the preaching of the word of Christ that really begins to stir up things in our lives. An anticipation, a hunger for God. Jesus' words, they give us life. And wherever Jesus goes, He is proclaiming the good news. Only His words can speak to our deepest longings. Only His words can give us eternal life. The words of Christ. And y'all, we know the church is a place where we come to encounter that word. The word about Jesus, the good news of the gospel, and also to encounter the teachings of Jesus. This is where we come to receive that word. Now, in John chapter 6, we, we find another episode from the life of the disciples. One day, Jesus was teaching his followers, and some of them were saying that this is a hard word, Jesus. It's hard for us to receive. And even... Some people were taking offense at what Jesus is saying. And they, they walked away. And then Jesus turns to the twelve disciples and he asked them, Do you also want to turn away as well? And Peter, he says this to Jesus. Lord, to whom shall we go? Where can we go, Lord? For you have the words of eternal life. Y'all, I believe that Jesus has come to give us a good word. A good word from God. A good message. That is good news for all of us if we will listen. If we will lean into it and receive it. And so, we pick back up in the story of Mark and we find that this is happening. Some people came. Actually, these four guys, they come bringing a paralyzed man. And when they couldn't get in to bring him to Jesus because of the crowds, 
what do they do? They start tearing away the roof of the house so that they can let their friend in. And when they did that, they let down the mat that the paralyzed man lay on. And then we're told that Jesus sees their faith. He sees their faith. This is what He sees. Now, let me, let me ask us to just think through for a moment. What does it look like to see faith? What does seeing faith look like for us? Well, I can tell you that, that I have seen faith. I see people respond to God in faith all the time. Just a few weeks ago, we were at Breakthrough. Many of you were there, parents, students. And, you know, in our worship services, I saw teenagers responding to Christ in faith. After messages, their altars were open. People were invited to come and pray. And, and some were invited to open up their lives to, to receive Christ as Savior. And what we, what we witnessed was these teenagers coming down in faith, wanting to meet Jesus. Y'all, that's what faith looks like. It looks like people running to Christ. You know, I've seen faith witnessed or evidenced in families when their loved ones stand by the bedside of a father or mother and they hold their hand and they know that they're near the point of death. And I've heard people say, it's going to be okay. It's okay. You can go be with Jesus. We're going to be all right. Y'all, how does a person say that? In a moment like that in life? Because of faith. Because of faith. They know that the worst thing is never the last thing for us. That for those of us that trust and hope in Christ... That even though we let our loved ones go, we don't just let them go. We let them go to be with Jesus. Y'all, that's an act of faith. And I see faith when I come on Sundays. And I know some of your stories. I know that there are illness going on in your life or in the life of a very close family member. I know people come to church all the time. They're carrying burdens. They're carrying things. But yet they come and they worship the Lord. There's no other place they would want to be than in the presence of the Lord. Y'all, that's faith. That's what people of faith do. And Jesus sees these men who bring their friend. Nothing is going to keep them from Jesus. They put their faith into action. They tear a hole in a roof. They bring their friend to Jesus. That is an act of faith. Jesus sees their faith. Y'all... You know, this, this whole idea about these guys bringing their friend to Jesus. You know, and all these other miracles that we see. You know, why don't we see more of that? Wouldn't you love to see those kind of, of, of moments happening on a more regular basis? I mean, I, I have a lot of questions about that, if I'm honest. But I do know that Jesus still meets people in their places of need. Why don't we see it more often? I think sometimes it's because of what we believe about this man, Jesus. Do we really understand him? 
Do we really know who He is? Do we really know who's on the other side of the roof that we pray to? The one whose presence that we seek in our worship. If we truly believe, if we truly knew who He was, then we would know that He is concerned about us. That He's not annoyed with us. That He's not unapproachable. That He is concerned about our needs. Who is this man Jesus? Who do you believe Him to be? I think when we get down at the essence of that question, it, it affects what or how we turn to Him or why we choose not to turn to Him sometimes. But yet we see this guy here with his friends they, they come in and they are expecting Jesus to do something. Now, Mark tells us what happens when this man is, is brought before Jesus. He's, you know, he, just think about it this way. So, these friends, they go through all this trouble to get this paralyzed friend in front of Jesus. What what is it that, that they want Him to do? Yeah, to heal Him. That's what they want, isn't it? That's what they're expecting Jesus to do, is to heal this man. But what does Jesus say to him? Well, Mark tells us, Jesus said to the paralytic, Child, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And we're like, wait a minute, Jesus. <laughs> His sins are forgiven? Lord, we were hoping you would heal him. Don't you see that his, his legs aren't working, Jesus? <laughs> would you heal him? But Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And... You, you know what they're thinking. They're thinking, great. <laughs> great. You see, like us, I think those friends and a lot of people that Jesus encounters, they believe that the real needs are the physical needs that we have. Emotional needs. You know, we look out in the world and, 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 and society has needs. Those are real needs. Those are real things going on in people's lives. But Jesus, He knows that our greatest need is a spiritual need. Our greatest area of need, the place where we need Jesus to impact us the greatest, is in our souls. We need Jesus to impart life to our broken, dead hearts. This is what we need God to do for us. And Jesus knows that that's why He's come and He skips right to that place of need. And He says, Son, your sins are forgiven. You see, this is the grand miracle. That Jesus has really come to perform. 
But it's not without criticism. What do those religious people who are there, the scribes, how do they respond? Mark tells us. He says, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does Jesus speak in this manner? This is blasphemy. Why is it blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? You see, here's what they believe. That God alone can forgive sins. They know that there's only one person that can absolve our sins. This is really important. And I want us to think about it for a moment. What if I sinned against you? What if I did something really, really bad and sinned against you, harmed you? Say I have another friend who, who comes up and says to me in front of you, and says, hey Jimmy, I forgive you. What would, what would you be thinking? Wait a minute, you don't have any right to forgive that sin. The sin was committed against me, I'm the only one that can forgive it. So how then... Can Jesus look at this paralytic man and say to him, Son, your sins are forgiven. There's only one person that can say that. The one who has been sinned against. Think with me about the life of David. Y'all know King David? He had a lot of sin in his life. And we're told very explicitly about a story from his life that revealed a number of those sins. Bathsheba, you remember her? So David, he sins against Bathsheba. Has an adulterous relationship with her. And then, not only does he do that, but he also sins against Uriah, her husband, by trying to cover it all up and having him murdered. So David does all of this and then when we, we read this psalm, Psalm 51, that we believe that David wrote as a response to his confession about all of this sin. Listen to what David says. He says, Lord, against you and you alone have I sinned. Wait a minute. He sinned against Bathsheba, Uriah, their families, the nation of Israel, and against God. How can he say that? Against you and you alone, God, have I committed sin. David knows that there's no one more offended by our sin than God. Why is that? Because God is the one that has created us. And when God created us, we're told that He created us in His image. Now what does that mean? It means that, that God has put us in creation to be a reflection 
of His glory, of His holiness, His, His beauty, His, His character. That's why we are different from everything else in creation, is that we display the glory of God. That's what we're meant to do. But when you and I sin, when I sin against you, you sin against me, and we sin against God, it's like we are defacing that image. We are marring it. We're tainting it. We're destroying it. So that we no longer reflect the glory of God. And no one gets more offended by that than the one who created us. And that's why David says what he, he says. So the scribes are right to ask, who can forgive sins except for God? But Jesus forgives this man's sins. How can he do that? Because you see, Jesus has come to make a bold claim. Mark tells us from chapter 1, verse 1, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You see, Jesus is God's Son. He is the incarnation of God's presence. Jesus is saying, I can forgive sins because I'm one with the Father. Y'all, that is a bold and radical claim that Jesus is, being, is making. And that's why He stirs people up so much. Who do you say that He is? Who do you believe that Jesus is? Does He have the authority, the right to forgive sins? My answer to that question is an absolute yes. This is why He came. Jesus came to pay our sin debt through the cross. And so that's why He can stay with all of the authority of God. Be healed. Be clean. Be made whole. You are forgiven. You see, Jesus is speaking and acting like God. And this is why we worship Him. This is why He is different. This is why we turn to Him when we need forgiveness. Y'all, I can remember the very moment in my life when I first experienced the power of God's forgiveness in my life. I was a teenager uh, 17 years old, and, and I kind of grew up outside of church, and as a, as a, young, a young guy, I, I was running from God. But there came a point in my life where the weight of, of all of that was really bearing on my soul. I was as lost as I could be, I was as far from God as I could be. But by God's grace... I was introduced to a friend and a church 
and a youth group that invited me in and accepted me and started praying for me. And then one night in 1994, I remember the date, it was July the 6th. I was at my lowest point. And I was at home by myself. My, my family were going on vacation. I stayed home and I was watching TV. The reason I know the exact time it was is because back then when uh, the TV at night uh, would finish its programming, it would just go off the air. And the last thing they would do is play the national anthem and the flag would wave. <laughs> and that happened at midnight, right at midnight. And I was sitting there watching that and it went off the air and I, I sat there and I was thinking, you know, my life's pretty miserable right now. And I don't know where it's headed. But there was a thought that entered into my mind. Jimmy, just go pray. And I believe that was the Holy Spirit. Led me off of that couch into my bedroom. And I knelt in, on the floor in there. And I just began to, to cry out to God. And my prayer was a very simple prayer. And I prayed, Lord, would you please forgive me? Would you please forgive me? Would, Lord, if you would accept me, I just, I want to turn to you. I want to serve you. I want, I want to experience you in my life. And y'all, I prayed that prayer. And I tell you, God, in a moment, delivered me and I felt like I had never felt before it felt like freedom I experienced God do that for me and I know some of you have had those kinds of experiences but even if you can't name a day and time and all of that it still is true when we turn to God in faith he has the power to forgive us. And y'all, that's my invitation to you today. I just want to ask you to do that. Are you feeling weighed down by the burden of some sin in your life? The good news is Jesus can make you free. He can give you a fresh start. And I bet if you could go back and ask that paralytic man, man, are you thankful that Jesus forgave your sins? I bet he would say, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I can say before you that that is the most important event from my entire life. And every time I come to the Lord with some burden of sin, I come with that same faith. God, I know you can do it. Would you do this for me again? Let's pray. God, we know that you are so generous with your grace. Lord, we can never love ourselves more than we know that you love us. Lord, we are so slow 
to seek after you as we know that we should. Lord, help us to come to you this morning. Help us to have the faith to believe that that you can touch us. If we turn in repentance to you, if we just confess our sins, God, we know that your grace is so marvelous. It is so generous towards us. Lord, I pray for anyone here today that is feeling a tremendous burden in their life because they are bearing the weight of some sin in their life. Father, would you speak these powerful words of grace into their hearts? Your sins are forgiven. Lord, may they put their faith entirely in Jesus Christ. And may they know the gift of life and freedom that can only be found in you. We ask this in Jesus' name and for His glory. Amen.